All right, guys. Well, we're in Numbers chapter 10 tonight, if you have your Bible or your app or on the screen. So uh, there's a lot of avenues to look at the Word. But uh, Numbers chapter 10, and the title is, It's Time to Go. <laughs> it's Time to Go. Most people are uh, creatures of habit. They get into like rhythms and rituals, and they put their socks and shoes on the same way every day. Once people are comfortable and things are the same consistently, they kind of feel at ease. And change is not easy, especially when we're in a place of comfort and convenience. Like, we don't want things to be shaken up because things are calm and consistent. Well, sometimes the unexpected happens, and we can tend to kind of freak out because a wrench was thrown into the gears that have been turning the same way over and over again. Other times, God actually calls us out of our comfort and out of a season into a new season that is full of the unknowns. Now, Unknowns are not bad if we're being led by God, because as we take steps of faith, God clears away the crowds, and faith helps us to see clearly ahead of us, or the clouds, I'm sorry, clears away the clouds, you know, it's kind of like change isn't easy, right, for most people. Some people are like, I want to change all the time, but most people are like, change isn't easy, but if change is God-led, it is necessary. And this is a story when it comes to the children of Israel being led from a place they've been for over a year to a new land that was promised to them. Now, I'm not, ju and I'm not justifying the Israelites' sin, but I am saying disobedience actually started when they were led to get up and get going. That's when the disobedience started. Like, we're in Numbers 10 tonight, and this little portion of Scripture, that, verses 1 to 10, it's a solid idea or a main topic right there. And we'll take a look at these 10 verses, and then from Numbers 11, 10, 11, and on, we'll see the children of Israel start their march towards Moab. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the verses tonight. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the honor, the privilege it is to get into your word, that it doesn't return void, that it accomplishes the purposes for which it set out, like it says in Isaiah. And so we just pray that you would accomplish your purposes in our hearts, Lord, in our church here tonight, Lord, through your word. We just thank you, Lord, that you speak through it, Lord, that um, to know your will, we just open your word, Lord, and, and dig in and so and seek you, God. And so we pray that our hearts would be open and, and pliable and uh, flexible to what you want to do tonight, what you want to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself, and you shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. So we'll stop right there. So the trumpets, okay, they were blown by the priests and not the Levites. And even though the Levites actually ended up becoming the official musicians of the nation, but the two trumpets, which were made of silver, which silver is the metal of redemption, they were blown to really communicate the orders to the camp of Israel. So the trumpets were to direct the camp of Israel for battle and to gather the Israelites together. Now, these silver trumpets were different from the trumpets made from the, uh, from the ram's horn, right, which was the shofar, which, we used, uh, which were used to announce the Day of Atonement. Now, these silver trumpets, they're described by the Jewish historian Josephus, and they were just straight pipes with flared at the end. That's it. Pretty simple. From them emanated like a bright, piercing sound that would be obnoxious enough for the people to know exactly what the sound was. 
They wouldn't mistake it. Like Without these trumpets, it would be very difficult to gather the nation together and march to Canaan. They didn't have a bullhorn. They didn't have a sound system. They had no speakers or microphones. They had trumpets and horns. So I, I love the picture here, though. The trumpets were actually tools that were from the Lord to the people. And remember, the book of Numbers is all about God organizing and mobilizing his people. And these trumpets were actually part of it. Not only were the children of Israel supposed to keep their eyes open and on the Lord, they had to keep their ears open so they could be led. And it's amazing how the Lord set this pattern thousands of years ago, but we see the same pattern today. We are to keep our eyes open and on the Lord as he leads us. We are to keep our, our, our ears open and pay attention so as the Lord can speak to us. So we know whether we should either wait or move, assemble together or stand still because God leads us. He speaks to us. Now, we were blessed to go on our uh, family one-time family vacation for the year this last week to Panama City Beach. We took a boat to this place called Shell Beach, and we were on the boat, and we saw some jet skis kind of circling around, and something's in the water, and we're like, let's go over there. What's going on? And, and we went closer, and they were like following dolphins, and a lot of dolphins. It was, it was amazing. Probably like 20 we, we saw at once come up, and there was a whole group of just playing out in the water. And so for over an hour, like we circled these dolphins, you know, who seemed to be, again, playing and jumping in the water, showing off for us. I don't know. It was awesome. God's creation, right? But there'd be instances where we'd see a bunch of them, and we're like, wow, they're like right there. And then they, they'd be gone, and they'd be really quiet, and then we'd everyone would look and listen, and like, where are they now? Like, you never know where they would pop up, right? But we wanted to make sure we were right where they were at. Sometimes we'd hear, like, is it called the blowhole? Like, you know, look, there they are, you know? Uh, so we'd hear that. Other times we would see, oh, look, there's one of them jumped over there. Let's go that way. And so it was really cool. We, we had to keep our ears open and our eyes open so we can see and follow these, this amazing, uh, these amazing creatures. But as the Lord leads, we are to keep our eyes open to his leading and keep our ears attentive to his voice. Because being led by the Lord is one of the most amazing miracles that I can think of. God actually leads his kids. You know, he's not just like, you know what, here you go, you're saved, cool, see you later, see you in heaven, right? He's, he's there leading us every step of the way. So our eyes and ears must be attentive to the Lord. Well, why? So we know whether to wait or whether to get up and go. So we know what direction to travel. I mean, so we know who to reach out to in the season we're in. So God organized all of this for the children of Israel under the old covenant, and God organizes our lives and calling under the new covenant. He's still leading. And again, this is why I love going through the Old Testament. Like These things were clearly for Israel, right? But also a lot of what the Lord has done so far is we can relate today. We still do today. These processes and patterns were put into place by the Lord for Israel, but many of them are still relevant today, right? How to worship, like when we went through Leviticus, we saw that. The importance of blood, the meaning of sacrifice, the reality of grace, the, the critical action of assembling together and organizing as people. We see these actions in the New Testament for the church, 
and individual Christ followers. It's amazing. And he set the precedent like right here. He organized it all right here. I even think about the tabernacle. As we went through that and we described it and we saw that the tabernacle was in the center of the 12 tribes, shaped like a cross if you had a drone back then, which they didn't. But I'm just saying it was really cool because God created that assembling together. So when people wake up, it's like, yes, I'm going to go in the presence of the Lord. When they went to sleep at night, there's the tabernacle. They had to see it. I'm praising the Lord as I go and lay down my head to sleep, you know? So we see these actions in the New Testament as well. I mean, so these silver trumpets, they were important, right? They were a tool in which to lead the people. So in verse 3, it continues on. It says, when they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then <clears throat> excuse me, begin their journey. Verse 6. When you sound the advance the second time, when the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey, they shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not the sound, uh, not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout the generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord, your God, and you will be saved from your enemies, verse 10. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before God. I am the Lord your God. So man, there were very specific trumpet blasts that would signify different actions, right? Distinctive sounds were made to gather Israel together for marching and for war. Long blasts were the, to assemble the people to Moses, to the tent of meeting to worship the Lord. Short blasts of the trumpet were used to get people ready for battle or to move to the next campsite. Two trumpets would call the people together. One trumpet blast would call the leaders, just the leaders together. So see, even something as simple as silver trumpets did so much in the organizing and mobilizing of God's people. The Lord knows how to direct and, and lead his people. And I love it. It says, it says, you will be remembered before the Lord your God. So what this really was saying is that the Lord would hear the trumpets and see and help his people in need. Like today, as we pray, the Lord will hear our cries, he'll hear our pleas, and he'll listen to us. Why? Because he cares. It says, also in your day of gladness. So not only were the trumpets used for assembling together and for moving the camp, for preparing battle, they were also used to celebrate the gathering of God's people in the presence of the Lord. See, even after the children of Israel settled in the promised land, these trumpets were used to signify celebrations and festivals. Like the Old Testament people of God, the Lord's kids today are waiting for the sound of the trumpet that really signifies us gathering together to Jesus and God's declaration of war against the wicked world that is primed for judgment. Until that time occurs, the Bible calls believers pilgrims and sojourners in the wilderness, which the wilderness is the world. And right now, we are to follow his lead, serve him faithfully, and keep our eyes and ears open to his leading. So now we have the beginning of the departure for the promised land, which we'll see from Numbers 10, 11, uh, to 12, 16. 
And let me just give you kind of an abridged version of like what has been going on so far. So the people of Israel, they've been camped at Mount Sinai for 11 months, a little bit over a year. They arrived there three months after their deliverance from bondage and slavery out of Egypt. And during the time at Mount Sinai, God's law had been announced. We went over all that, right? God's law had been announced, and the tabernacle had been constructed and dedicated. And we went over that. Praise the Lord. We got through. There's a lot of details, right? We got through all that. Moses had been extremely busy. Like Moses, under God's direction, he consecrated the priests and Levites. He counted the soldiers, and he organized the tribes. He wasn't like, I'm the leader now. I'm sitting on my throat. Like he was, he was busy. So at this present time now, Israel was truly ready for action as a nation. And I wish I could tell you the Israelites, I would love to say the Israelites were just passionately following the Lord. They said, yes, sir, God, whatever you want. And, and every time God gave them orders, they were obedient. And they just said, yes. But we know that's not how it happened, right? For the next 38 years, the children of Israel were filled with unbelief, and they had epic, crazy, major, uh, intense failures. The people opposed Moses. They rebelled against the Lord leading. Lord's leading. And, and spoiler alert, you guys know, because uh, of their disobedience and, you know, at the location of Kadesh Barnea, Israel wandered in the wilderness, again, for almost four decades. And between Numbers 10-11 and Numbers 22-1, the first generation died off in the desert. And again, out of this first generation, only two, you guys know, only two lived because of their faith. What two lived? Yeah, Joshua and Caleb. They were committed to the Lord. They were like, let's take this land. Let's go. All the other, the other 10 were like, no, that's scary. <laughs> there's too many. There's, I don't want to. There's giants. There's crazy stuff in that. No, that's just not. They were the only ones with faith, and they were the only ones who actually lived out of that whole generation. The first 10 chapters of Numbers, it's super encouraging. I, I loved it because I love them because the people actually followed the Lord. They had reverence. They did what he said. And this is recorded in Numbers 154. Let me just read it to you. Numbers 154 says, And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. I love that. And this obedience is also recorded in Numbers 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, and 9. <laughs> obedience to the Lord, it's encouraging to see, and it should cause us to want to follow avidly after him. You know, people of the world, they're inspired by those who are disobedient to everyone and they don't care about anything. I want to be like them. I just don't want to care about anything. I thought it was the coolest thing to see people create anarchy and chaos back in the day. I was in a couple punk bands, right, which were so like, explicit, I can't even tell you the names of them. It was bad, right? That was my life in, in, in Hollywood. But that's what inspired us want to be punks before I was a believer, you know? Yeah, chaos. But I look back and I think, how stupid. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure you guys never do that. But you look back and you go, what was I thinking? Now, it's a lot different. I am inspired by those who just passionately follow the Lord and are fully invested in accomplishing his will. Pastors, missionaries, believers who live unashamed for the Lord. I'm like, yes, that's what it's about. You know, in Southern California, we, I was there for about 17 years. I grew up in Northern California. I moved when I was about 20-something because my friend, my best friend growing up, um, he's like, hey, I want to go to sushi school in Venice Beach. You want to move to L.A.? I was like, sure, because <laughs> I want to stay in a small town and, and either be in prison or you have a young family. So I left. We went and in Venice Beach, and we were there for 17 years. And, of course, after all my band stuff, I got saved and went to church and met my future wife, which, which was awesome. But being in Southern California... 
it's like a regular occurrence to see like famous people. You know, like, uh, like I saw at Gold's Gym, I saw Kobe Bryant, I saw The Rock, I saw Carrot Top um, when he was doing juicing. It was, it was, he looked crazy. But um, I, I was at Jamba Juice. I, I saw Elijah Wood, you know, from uh, Lord of the Rings. I think he came in with his old manager. And, uh, and he's like, I love this place. You know, he's like a little kid. He was really, he's really short like a hobbit, actually. But I saw, I'm just saying, I'm just sorry. Um, sorry, Elijah, if you're watching. No. Um, <laughs> I saw Julia Roberts at Barnes & Noble, Travis Barker, the drummer for Blink-182 at Starbucks, a bunch of famous bands. I saw a bunch of it, but I never really was, like, in awe of them. I saw other people go drool over them, like, wow, look at these people, you know. But I was like, oh, just a person who has a job, who's in the spotlight, you know. But when I began walking with Christ, I... I really did look up to those strong in the faith uh, and, and Bible teachers in the sense that they became, they, in a sense, they became like my rock stars. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be like them. They love the Lord. It's very evident that they're following the Lord. They're passionate for him. They're just whatever God wants, you know. It's it, it still, to this day, I'm like, that is what inspires me. Not because of their popularity or talent, because they clearly love Jesus. They valued God's word like it was a treasure, which it is. So, Anyway, faith. But I, you know, so let's, so the cloud, you know, over the tabernacle, it moved, and, and the priests blew trumpets, the Levites packed up the tabernacle, and the people got ready to march, right? And their leader was Moses, who was a man of faith. He was their example. And remember, these guys were used to staying put, but they were immobile. They were immobile for, again, 11 months, but now it was time to move on. They got used to staying put. They were feeding off the manna from the Lord daily. They were, or should have been, like reminded daily of their deliverance of God's provision, or and God's provision. Remember, the Israelites inherited, their inheritance, it was not Mount Sinai. They're like, I'm going to call you to Mount Sinai and just be at the base of that and just hang out, you know, get the Ten Commandments and just stay, that's where they're going to live and die. That was not their promised land, right? Mount Sinai was just a stop for a season. They weren't supposed to settle there. And sometimes believers are miserable because they settle rather than continue on. Whatever that is. I know I'm generalizing, but whatever that is. Like in a real sense, we are never called to settle on this earth. Do you know what I mean? Like we're all pilgrims on a journey through this temporary life. Our real home is heaven. Let's not settle when God says to move. Let's not move when God says to stay put. My daughters, they've been playing this old, this old GameCube game. Uh, some of my last job gave us a GameCube. Remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, but they're discontinued, so all the games are really expensive, so we don't have that many games. But they got this game called Shrek. You know, probably know that movie. But, and they, uh, they almost have the game beat. I think they're at like 87%. I don't know, I tell you the percentage. But they're, they're playing, right? And there are parts of the game that are all about timing. The whole thing is about timing. And I remember one part, they're like, Dad, we can't do this. We can't, we can't get the time right. Can you come and do it for me? And I, and I helped them with this one part where these giant fruits, I think the watermelons were like rolling down this hill, right? And, and there were these fences, and you had to like, we, the watermelon went by, and you had to, okay, run up and go into the gate. Okay, go into the gate before the next one comes. Okay, there you go. And then, you know, get all the coins, smash all the watermelons. And then, again, when it comes, go in and jump on the lily pad, and then just, it was very difficult, actually, <laughs> but it was because I'm not a gamer. I'm like, this is hard, but, but I acted like, oh, no problem, you know, but, um, but I got past it. I got past, but anyway, it was about timing. <laughs> timing had to be perfect or you wouldn't make it, and you would be stuck in that same level, in that same portion. God's timing, as far as waiting or moving forward, is perfect. 
It always has been, and it always will be. And so as I was thinking through God's leading in regards to the children of Israel, I really was wondering, like, did, they, did the disobedience start because they had to get up and get going? I don't know, but I, that, that may be a part of it, because they were fine for that like, year, that 11 months, when they were just staying put. They were used to their surroundings. They were at the mountain where they, they got the Ten Commandments. They were like used to this, like, yeah, this is it. We can tend to get too comfortable in certain seasons of life that when God calls us to move, we say, no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> right? He's like, no, no, get up and get going. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm good right here. Like, I'm going to stay here. And he beckons us to move on, but we want to stay put. And so we, we pull a Jacob and wrestle with God. And it's an interesting observation that when we get too comfortable in a certain season, we can become complacent. Right? But if we hold everything loosely and we go, Lord, Lord, there are blessings in this season, but if you call me to move to a different job or a different hobby or a different thing, like a different location or a different calling where I am right now, I'm ready to obey. That's where the blessing is. It might be difficult. You know, that, that is the godly and right perspective to have, though. Yes, Lord, with open hands, Lord, whatever you want to do. We can either trust God and follow or not trust God and attempt just to pave our own way. And we all know how, how that ends up, right? Disastrous, stuck in the same place. So the cloud began to move. In verse 11, it says, Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month of the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys, and then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. And then they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The cloud began to move, right? Now the Israelites would be on their way to the promised land. So I love this because they'd be de delivered out of Egypt, of slavery, and now they'd be brought into the land God had promised, flowing with milk and honey. And that, that's what God does, right? That's what he still does today. He, he delivers us out of darkness, of slavery of the world, of the dirt of the world, into his marvelous light, cleans us off, refines us, sets us on the path of his will, the narrow path. So they were led to the wilderness of Paran, which was very barren. It was an incredibly barren desert region. It covered a lot of the northern Sinai Peninsula. So this was the same group marching, but instead of escaping Egypt, they were marching together ready for what God had for them. And I just imagine, text doesn't say, make that clear, but I just imagine some anticipation, some excitement of God leading them to the land he'd promised them. Okay, let's go. It's time to get up and get moving. Change is hard. Change is difficult, but when God leads and we say yes, and we get up and get going in his promises, it starts to get really exciting. So the children of Israel, so far, they have become organized, purified, set apart, blessed. Their leaders were raised up. They were, they were ordered together. Preparation isn't the hard part. The battle ahead is the real challenge. You know, the Israelites, they would experience how difficult it would be to truly trust when things look tough. And they'd ultimately disobey, fail, and be wilderness wanderers for years until they died. <laughs> right? It's kind of a sad story. We can prepare all day long for what's ahead. God can prepare us all day long for what's ahead as God leads us. But then, if you will, like the rubber meets the road or the sandals meet the desert sand, whatever. you, uh, And that's when the difficulty begins. That's why preparation is a necessity. We must prepare for 
the Lord's coming back for the rapture. We must prepare and have oil in our lamps. We must prepare for the way the world is headed. You know, we must get our hearts right and completely in line with the Lord. Time is short. Life is a vapor. It's a shadow. It's here and it's gone. We're just a blip on the radar of this, in this life, right? And that's the thing, you guys. If the battle were easy, preparation would not even be a necessity. We'd just be like, I don't need to prepare. I'm good. Like, it's easy. Everything's easy. But life is difficult. <laughs> life is difficult. It's not easy to be a true follower of the Lord in this world on this earth. There are so many challenges, and that is why we must prepare for what's ahead, to get our hearts right with the Lord, to get those hidden compromises out in the open so God can deal with us, so God can deal with those. Um, so verses 14 to 28, you guys, I'm not going to read, uh, but these verses, uh, in these verses, we have a description, really. It's pretty repetitive. You can read it on your own if you'd like, but we have this description of the march. And so the tribes already had their leaders number, from Numbers chapter 1. They already knew their marching orders from Numbers chapter 2. And now all the priests had to do was sound the trumpets, right? And the signal each of the tribe should march and join the procession. And, and so the Ark of the Covenant led the way, which was carried by the Levites, who were following the pillar of cloud, the ark was really the throne of God, and the Lord was sovereign over his people. So as the tribes would march, the furniture from the tabernacle would actually be in the heart of the tribes, in the middle of the march, right, where it was the safest. Because this furniture, you know, as we looked at months ago, uh, it's, it's really, it's actually holy. It's set apart just for the Lord. So the mixed multitude that did not belong to any tribe, they were to march at, at the back of all the tribes in Numbers 11.4. So the 12 tribes were not marching in an order that they chose and they vied for. We're the best tribe. We're the strongest. We have the most people. We're going to be first. You guys are the weakest. You have at least people. You go in the back. No, it wasn't up to the people. It was up to God, right? He called which ones he wanted. He ordered them exactly how he wanted them ordered. They marched in the order that the Lord wanted them to march in, right? God knows what he's doing. And then verse 29 and we pick up, it says, Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Verse 30, And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, Please do not leave, inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. A blessing. So Hobab was Moses' brother-in-law, the son of Reuel, who was also known as uh, Jethro. Right. So most believe that at this point, Jethro was dead, and Hobab was the head of the family. And see, Moses, he wanted his family and in-laws to travel with the Israelites so they'd be experienced the blessings of God. But Hobab was like, no thanks. He kind of blew him off. Like, no, I don't want to go with you. Hobab wanted to stay in his own land with his own people. He didn't want to sacrifice comfort and security for an unknown future. And this is why a lot of Christians, again, are depressed and miserable because they don't want to stay flexible to the Lord's leading. God says, come on, come with me. Like, no thanks. Moses wasn't dumb. He knew, he knew Hobab could, could help them find water and resources because he knew the land. He was a good guy to have around to help them. Now, Moses didn't need Hobab to, to lead them. The Lord did that from the pillar of cloud, right? 
but he could use his experience and knowledge of the land. So Moses appeals to Hobab first with, with promises of the material, where he said, we, we will treat you well. We will give you things. You know, you will be like VIP, right? Like that didn't work. He said, no. So Moses appealed, you know, a second appeal, it did actually work. And it was about helpfulness. Years later, in Judges chapter 1 and chapter 4, we see Hobab's descendants living with the Israelites. So they joined the ranks eventually. Some Bible students and scholars actually think that Moses messed up by asking for Hobab's help. But one commentator said this to this incident. He said, Divine providence doesn't minimize or destroy human ability or responsibility. Hobab wasn't taking the place of, of, of God and leading, but he would be a tremendous help in knowing the terrain, making decisions based on the land from place to place. And I like what Spurgeon says. He says, we ought to learn from this. He says, I think that while we seek the guidance of God in providence, yet we may frequently find direction and guidance in the use of our own common sense and our own discretion, which the Lord has endowed to us. And I love, don't get me wrong, like I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it's true, we don't lean on our own understanding. But there are moments where God gives us our, has already given us understanding where there are things we don't even like have to pray about. It sounds weird even saying that, right? But it's like, I know I shouldn't do that. Or I know I need to go this way and not that way. There are certain common sense that God has given us. He's given us a mind. Uh, Romans 12, 2 alludes to we are to use both our heart and our mind in discerning the will of God. But I think one of the main points in this incident with Hobab was that Moses actually invited others to come and enjoy the blessings of God with them. He invited non-Israelites to the group. Like we're all on a, tra a trajectory to, you know, to heaven, and we are to invite all to come and experience the saving grace through Christ and the blessing that God has for those who are his. That's what we get to do. It's amazing. So the last verses, you guys, verse 33 to 36 says, So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day, and when they went out from the camp. So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So we see the departure from Sinai. And as, we, as, as they were on the way to the promised land, they were guided by God's presence. Whenever the cloud moved, they followed, no matter how rough or smooth the locations were, the terrain was. Three days' journey to Paran. Now, the average traveling for a group of, uh, like this in this particular time and culture was about 15 miles a day. So most scholars think <clears throat> excuse me, it was about uh, 45 miles to Paran. It says, rise up, O Lord. Moses bathed this whole journey in prayer. Moses and Aaron marched ahead of the tribes behind the ark. Each time the pillar moved, Moses prayed for guidance and victory. He didn't just pray once and said, we're good for the next month right? Like we should constantly and consistently pray and seek the Lord for his guidance. When the nation stopped the camp, Moses prayed that God's presence would rest with the people at the tabernacle. 
Moses constantly repeated these prayers. As we go through, you'll see. Like, I believe he wanted the people to know it was the Lord leading them, not himself. Moses put God first, and I, I believe he wanted the people to put God first. Moses knew this whole thing was not about him. You know, Moses needed God to lead, and he needed God to give him the victory. Moses knew it wasn't him doing it. This is called faith, right? Moses, he was a servant leader, and he wanted the people to trust in the Lord just like he was trusting in the Lord. He didn't just preach to the people to trust God. He lived it out. They saw him praying. They saw him leading. They saw him seeking God. They saw him, remember, we looked at that whole thing. They saw him get the Ten Commandments. They saw him commune with God. And so he was the example. And so we get to be the example to those who we interact with who we see, who we meet, friends, family, uh, acquaintances, people we just met, people at church. We get to be the example for others and invite them. Hey, come, come with us. <laughs> like, this is a blessing. You guys know how blessed it is to follow the Lord and how amazing it is. I, I can't imagine not. I can, and it's horrible, actually. <laughs> like, I, I would never want to abandon and, and walk away from the Lord. Early on in my faith, I did the first year, actually. I was saved, and it was horrible. I knew the truth, and then I stopped walking in it, and I was like, this is bad. <laughs> like, I love walking with the Lord. He knows where I need to go. He knows what I need to do. He knows which way to guide us, when we, whether we should wait or get up and go. Right? God is faithful. So Moses was a great example right, of someone who loved the Lord, who prayed to the Lord, who followed the Lord, and he was setting that precedent for the people. And we are called to lead at our, these Christian lives like we're influences for someone. Someone said, like, you're someone's hero, right? You're someone's hero. Like, people look to you like, so it's not like we're trying to be perfect, but we're trying to be like, what does a godly person look like? What does a godly man look like? What does a godly woman look like? And we get to live that out. And as people look at us, well, we're not trying to show off. We're just trying to be like, yeah, I screwed up. I'm going to repent. <laughs> pray for me. You know, we can also be vulnerable. That's part of being an example of following the Lord. What a great and a blessed privilege that is. And he'll give us the strength and the wisdom and the guidance and everything we need every single day. We just pursue him and seek him for it. 